Welcome to the Wizards of Dapps podcast, where we interview the creators of various decentralized applications in the Web3 ecosystem. We learn about how they are built and the insights that come from shipping. And we're your co-hosts. I'm Peter. And I'm Bethany. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're sitting down with John from SuperRare. Welcome to Wizard of Dapps. Great to be here, Bethany. Thanks for having me. Is it immoral to have schools monetize the memories of the students by like tokenizing maybe the schoolwork or the artwork and then selling it back to the parents for profit? Or maybe on a bonding <laughs> curve, where it's like the longer it's yeah. been in existence, like more expensive and more costly will cost the parents, right? Like an artwork created yeah. when... I mean, I think it's okay as, as long as they cut in the artist. I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> yeah. What if you get scenarios where... Children are selling their own artwork, like, you know, project to their own parents. Like, hey, I tokenize my own work. You haven't seen it, but it'd be crazy if, like, children are selling NFTs back to their parents because the parents are probably, like, willing to kind of, like, buy the NFT maybe for that relational value, right? It's like baby photos or, like, school photos. Yeah, definitely. It's a pretty interesting concept. We've definitely talked about it as a possibility. You never know who's going to be the next Picasso. Super is a lot about the digital artworks, at least for me, as a previous creator, right? And a former motion designer and visual designer, I've like played around with these artworks, created them, right, on Super and even had them sold for those poor collectors out there. I almost feel like it's a lot about the underlying contextual relationship between the artist and the collector. And I wonder where else can this, you know, dynamic fit in or find value, right? You know, maybe between our celebrities and the fans. Sure. Yeah, like if, you know, Kanye West issued a coin and just sent it to you via Twitter, it's like, what's your address? Sent it, right? And sent you like the EtherScan transaction. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That would be, even if it's an ERC-20, it'd have um, significant discrete meaning by itself. And I wonder if that's enough, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't need that real world tie. It's never been about data or the content of it. Web 2 was content and data or whatever and, and files, videos. And borrowing them and, you know, payment walling them. What if Web3 is like literally just about context? Yeah, I think the context is a huge, I mean, it really is one of the major components. Like we've seen a number of different artists just sort of tokenize a blank or like an all white <laughs> nice. PNG or JPEG. And you can see it's like they find a different price and there's collectors bidding on them just based on the, That's insane. On the brand of yeah. the artist. It is all about the context. That reminds you of like those pranks where people go to McDonald's and buy like a Big Mac, but dress it up really fancily and then offer it as like gourmet food to people and have people rate it. It's all perception, right? Amazing. I didn't even know about that. Absolutely. So Super is a platform, right, that enables artists, right, um, to tokenize their artworks and then, you know, uh, have collectors uh, own them, like the collectors and buy them. When did this project start and where did it come from? I had been working in the Ethereum space and, you know, part of what got me excited was just being able to build new business models for the web that were more empowering than some of the existing ones. And so we had kind of been talking about what does a platform for creators look like that's not driven by ads. So, you know, if you think about YouTube and Instagram, it's good for creators because they have, you know, great distribution, but at the same time, it's really the platform is capturing most of the value. So it's sort of like a mixed blessing 
for the artists. And so the idea was, what if we could kind of turn that model on its head and build something where it was a market-driven platform um, and kind of give more data ownership and power back to the creators who are making those types of platforms successful? This is kind of the backdrop. And then with the launch of ERC721 and all the conversation there, we were kind of like, okay, I think this is sort of the token standard and a foundational layer to actually build a platform like that. That's kind of what we set out to do. Just flip the model for content creation. You give a lot of that power back to the creators. John, so like you spent some time with Consensus. What did you do then? Joined Consensus. Actually, one of their early hackathons, I think it was August 2015, they had a hackathon in the Bogart office and I went with my brother Charles and we hacked on a project. It was called BitGoals. We used a stack. It was the Block Apps technology stack. And so that was the project I ended up working on while at Consensus. So Block Apps was sort of developer-friendly APIs for Ethereum geared for the enterprise. So that was the Block Apps spoke was the company I worked with for about two years. And what was your background that inspired you to start Super Rare? Were you a content creator or did you come from an artist background? What's the inspiration there? Yeah, like, oh, was it your co-founders? I guess I'm like an amateur artist. I had always been interested in, you know, I have a sketchbook I carry around and like to draw. And um, actually, the reason I learned to code was I saw somebody do some really cool interactive processing art while I was in college. And was sort of like reading about processing. And I was like, oh, processing. It's like an easy way for artists to learn how to program, which I quickly found out was not the case. It was still pretty difficult to learn how to program. But that was kind of my inspiration. So I'd always been tinkering around with like open frameworks and processing, mostly just for myself. But kind of in the back of my mind, I was, you know, I thought it would be cool to sell, like be an artist. But I was like, I don't know how to monetize something like a processing sketch. So that was kind of in the back of my mind and um, was part of the inspiration for launching Super Rare. When did you initially create the, the first version of Super Rare? You know, what did the first version look like? The first version was very clunky. Yeah. Mostly myself working on the product before I convinced uh, Jonathan and Charles to join me. And it was actually a tool that let you tokenize your Instagram feed. So you would kind of like cool. use the Instagram OAuth and then you could choose, you know, some of those photos to tokenize. But we decided to, you know, kind of pivot and make it a little bit more general and not require Instagram. So that was the first version. We actually tried to launch it at ETH Denver 2018. So that was sort of like the first time we had other users, you know, who weren't just the three of us playing around with it. What was the initial kind of like reaction or feedback like, you know, who was using it and in what ways? The initial feedback was pretty good. I think it was kind of early on as far as like the issuance and tokenization tools. So it was one of the really early platforms where you could do that. I think just the utility itself was pretty exciting for people. And then we quickly found that like the really early prototypes, we had an activity feed of like what people were doing. And that was the thing that people gravitated to the most. So I think that's kind of helped lead us in the more down the social path, just the interest around that. Interesting. Would you say Axe is more of a social platform or a marketplace? It's a really interesting mix of both. The power in the platform and sort of like the magic, you know, the secret sauce, whatever you want to call it, is really around um, 
the context, like you were talking about, Peter, that context that the social layer gives to it. The marketplace is, you know, a foundational component, but really it's a social platform. And how does that play into how supervised design today, right? It's a fairly social experience of like seeing this feed, right? Yeah. Have you thought of like, you know, is that what you're looking for? Again, the social component is like very much at the core. So that's a lot of what we're thinking, you know, our product roadmap is thinking about like building out the profiles, letting people, especially, or, you know, like collectors and artists have kind of like a, a top shelf, if you will, or a place where you're showing off what you're collecting. Big part of it is signaling to the community, like as a collector, what artists I'm into, or, you know, what's really speaking to me at the moment, or from the artist perspective, like your favorite pieces of work that you've produced. And I think that's part of the fun and excitement around it. If it's all kind of about this relationship between the artists and not all, but, you know, it's heavily, you know, reliant and all about the relationship between the artist and the collector, right? And I wonder how you can further empower those relationships. If you can make them increasingly more meaningful, I wondered if you had any thoughts around that. It would be great to make them more meaningful. There's some simple design patterns from other social platforms that we can incorporate just like, you know, if people wanted to like reshare, repost works created by an individual, just like on Twitter, I think you're like, oh, cool, this person, you know, retweeted my tweet. You know, that's like, you feel a little closer to that person. I think there's some tools there uh, that we could integrate that would, you know, kind of help bring collectors and artists like a little closer together and kind of nurture that relationship. So those are things we think about. Obviously, we don't want to just rebuild Twitter. It's a pretty great platform all on its own. But just thinking about some of those patterns and ways we can integrate them. So that's a lot. We do a lot of brainstorming around those type of things. There's a big community of actual uh, artists like that's gathering around Super Rare, right? Who typically like comes to the platform to create? And you know, you do a lot of community engagement. I'd love to know like if you've picked up on any like trends around that. Whether are they artists who know about crypto, or are they just like very new, or do they really understand it, or they they just playing? And who's actually kind of collecting these artworks? There's obviously some crypto whales who are just spending a lot of money, right, collecting them. But I, I think there's still value there, right? That's like a sign that people do want this. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it's a pretty broad range as far as who the artists are. It's honestly probably 50-50 people who are familiar with cryptocurrency and already have some ETH. And then the other half are people, this is their first time at interacting with the cryptocurrency so we've done a lot of personal onboarding and like handholding through the process of setting up a wallet that can, you know, be pretty intimidating for a new user. As far as that category goes, just like whether they have exposure to crypto or not, it's pretty diverse. And then, you know, in addition to the types of artists that are on the platform and their backgrounds, those are also pretty broad. I think one trend mm-hmm. or pattern has been people who are kind of like early Tumblr adopters, you know, there's a big gift sharing culture on Tumblr and those people never really had, or, you know, it's hard to take a gift to market and sell it. It's slightly harder than when you have a, a canvas or a sculpture that you're taking to the gallery. I think for those types of artists, tools and platforms like Super Rare we're pretty game changing because you now have one thing you can point to and say, okay, here, this is the official limited edition copy. Sure, people are going to share it around the internet and like post it on all sorts of platforms, but the artist is digitally signing that token saying, this is the original yeah. that will accrue value. 
And I think it's a, a really interesting concept in general, because especially hearing that you kind of started with the Instagram idea, like tokenizing your feed. Because for me, I don't come from an art background at all. I'm not a very creative person. So I find any kind of art very intimidating. But then when you put it in the context of social media with Instagram or sharing GIFs or Tumblr or whatever, these kinds of things, it kind of makes it less intimidating where I'm more likely to go online, be like, that was really funny. I'm going to buy this, share it on other platforms. But then the artist, the original artist still gets the credit for it. Exactly. It's cool that you mentioned that because that's kind of, I, you know, like to do processing sketches and draw, but like art is like a very charged word. So if someone says like, are you an artist? I'd be like, oh, (laughs) no, no, definitely not. Right. But people are really creative. If you talk to people, if you ask somebody what kind of music do they like, they're generally going to have an opinion. It's not very many people who are like, oh, no, top 100, just don't care. Just listen to whatever's there. People have pretty sophisticated musical tastes. And I think there's certain things that people find visually pleasing. They choose their clothes. They have pretty sophisticated visual tastes. But like the way to articulate it and the culture around art is a little bit intimidating and it's not super friendly for everybody. So kind of trying to make it easier for people to express those their visual tastes is definitely something we're trying to do. And even tying that whole thing back to blockchain, like I can see it definitely driving more people to the ecosystem in a way that, for example, games or DeFi, for another example, may not necessarily do. It's just a different avenue attracting different people. Art is very universal. Absolutely. Where we're going to see maybe groups, right, or galleries come out of Super Rare. Is that something you want to do? Do you know Behance, right? Sure. Something that they've done really interestingly is um, over the years, it's just like have these um, groups. Uh, like Behance is a site where people post basically creative work in a portfolio manner. And they just upload these pieces of work in like these briefcases. I mean, just like these folders with all these variety of like media inside of them. People have portfolios of them, right? And they're often curated by like various categories. And I wonder if like you can actually bring greater meaning, right, to the artwork. I'm not sure if that's what you want. It's extremely chaotic, the front page. It's great because it is chaotic. But I wonder if like, you know, a galleries can bring a lot more order and perhaps meaning to like an even greater context to the artworks themselves. I could even imagine a self-curating artist guild or even a self-curating art collection, right? I can imagine that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're more like a lower level kind of infrastructure piece, but then on top you can build cool curated experiences or like, you know, like a gallery type setting. You know, I think it's been interesting seeing, you know, people putting art in their crypto voxels galleries that are for, yeah. for people who don't know crypto voxels is like a, is a VR world. It's kind of like Minecraft with primitives and you can build things on top. So, you know, we have a gallery there that we periodically go and like, can you know, kind of curate a new show. And I think we're going to see more of that, you know, like as, the body of work grows and there's more there's more art there it's harder and harder to look at it and so i think it is helpful to have people kind of go through and pick pieces out and i think another fun part is like they're telling a story as they're curating it and so it might be you know you're thinking about a piece of art or you know a gif in a way that you hadn't thought about it before so it is cool to kind of see things bubble back up 
through a, a curated process. Imagine if like, like Supra is composed within, say, the world of Axe Infinity or like within the world of CryptoKitties and you had the users there curated. It'd almost be inappropriate to have, you know, the CryptoKitties gallery maybe as in one of the main kind of galleries or collections of Supra on the main page. Maybe not. Is that something you're aiming for in terms of like enabling Supra to be in the, uh, to be composed and embedded into various like dApps out there? People would love to talk about unstoppable web free, you know, unstoppable money. But I'm actually very interested in like the openness of the fact that these dApps can all be fairly composable, right? And uh, openly accessed. Yeah, I, I think this, the interoperability is super interesting. And, you know, like we can now kind of have, you know, it's open data, all the assets are open, everybody can go look at them. It's a super interesting paradigm that's, you know, kind of the exact opposite of what it's been before. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, weird and exciting when you see CryptoVoxels, Decentraland, you know, like people bringing these various objects together and building new things on top. I think that we're going to see a lot of creative use cases that, you know, we haven't even really thought of yet. It'll be really cool. Kind of weird, probably, but in a good way. There's a lot of like exploration around business models right now around dApps. And of course, like most dApps are really just exploring them right now, right? Because there's no point to really applying them in reality. I mean, maybe not because where most dApps are not at a scale of what they can be profitable anyways. But one of the interesting um, ideas is that, you know, I, I thought of it, it's like, hey, why don't you let collectors rent art by staking Eve? Yeah. And then the artist could earn fees or the, you know, super rare platform could earn fees by staking and the collector could rent it while it's staked. And maybe that could be a fun uh, way to kind of like capture value, right? Without really taking it completely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the renting is super interesting. You know, we've talked to a couple of people like museums and hotels and like, what does it mean to do an exhibition? Because the art yeah. is sort of publicly viewable and on the internet. So it's sort of everywhere. I think that's a super interesting idea. I like, you know, we also think a lot about what would staking on NFTs look like if you wanted to have, you know, one thing we've talked about, and it's it's on my to-do list of, you know, medium posts to write, but um, like a simple staking mechanism where you could let people, you know, maybe it's time boxed or something, but for a period of time, you could stake on a piece of art. And then depending on, you know, like who stakes first, how much they were staking, that's like a signal to everybody else that somebody finds this valuable. And then if it's sold, potentially you get a percentage of the marketplace fee based on a proportion to what you staked. So I think something like that could be really fun. You know, like you could use the staking sort of as like a curation layer also, which would be pretty interesting. Like the signaling layer. Yeah, signaling layer. Before an artist would release them, maybe in the next piece, you could even stake there's a chance that the art will maybe go to you or you get a collection. It's interesting to what like staking can enable. It's just really great signaling. Yeah, I think it's it's great for signaling. It's good to like, you know, for curation and discovery. The main thing we think about is like UX has been a big part of it for us. So like how do you make the UX around the staking simple? Right. Like we want the tool to be simple and fun to use. That's one thing we think about. But I think there's a lot of potential and it's really about iterating on the UX till you have something that's kind of fun and easy to do instead of like 
you don't really want people doing tons of math when they're thinking about it. I think that would be, that's what we don't want. What are the main biggest problems that the Supra team are thinking about right now? What are you really thinking a lot about, right? Either problem-wise or idea-wise nowadays. One of our main jobs is to sort of, you know, grow and nurture a collector base. Yeah, I think that's like a huge component in addition to, you know, helping artists find and discover the platform and building simple UX for them. Also building a fun collecting experience because if the collecting experience is really great, then, you know, the artists will be successful. They'll create more great art. I think it's a pretty virtuous cycle there. So we're thinking about, you know, just we spend a lot of time thinking about what does it mean to have a digital collection? What's the best way to show it off? And just, you know, really trying to get the UX around that correct. So I think that's probably our biggest challenge is just thinking about the collecting user experience and trying to make it simple to do. And then, you know, we have a lot of challenges that, you know, are not totally unique to Super Rare, but just in general across Web3, like onboarding new users and require, you know, what do you do about the wallet and where does that sit? And, you know, that's a big hurdle that everybody is kind of thinking about and dealing with in different ways. But yeah, we, I think we, you know, ultimately we'd love to have it so you can sign up and start participating in the community without really having to think about the wallet on the front end. And then as you get more involved and, you know, maybe you have a bigger collection, then it's time to think about what to do with your seed phrase later. I wonder if it's actually possible to maybe participate in SuperRail without the need of, to, without needing to make a transaction. A big problem faced by games, right? Uh, crypto games is that some of the assets of the game that were kind of required to play were quite in demand, right? And they were getting quite expensive for plays. Yeah. And there were questions over whether we should be creating a new tier of uh, assets that people could play with or get for free, right? Um, just to lower the barrier of participation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're working on a mobile app right now. And I think what we'd like to do is make it so you can sign up and start, you know, sharing art, commenting, following, liking art, sort of like helping curate the art on the platform uh, without having to have any ether or anything. And then when the user's ready, they can, you can add the cryptocurrency component in. But I think there's a lot that you can do um, without requiring ether or anything. Kind of coming back to something you guys were talking about before regarding, John, you said the best way to show off like a digital art collection. And then Peter, you mentioned having a gallery kind of thing. I think it could be an interesting real world implementation to actually rent a physical space and then have like tablets or something displaying NFTs or like these digital arts. And so people can actually walk into a physical space and look at this art, not necessarily knowing it's blockchain. And then kind of the entrance fee to the gallery could be used, like the gallery would then like convert it to crypto or something, or they use it for staking, something like that. So it's like a real world version of the digital thing. And then even that might spark interest, be like, oh, I didn't know that was a blockchain exhibition kind of thing, some kind of route there. That'd be fascinating if you could distribute like the, the, your ticket fee you know, equally to how much attention you give various artworks. That would be interesting. That probably incentivizes the wrong behavior, to be honest, but yeah. I love the idea of the physical exhibition. We actually, at DevCon last year, did have some iPads on the wall. It was really fun. It's, a, it's definitely a good conversation starter. So it's definitely something we'd love to do more of because I think it helps, you know, 
people just sort of like appreciating art and it's a fun thing to do, but then it kind of helps start the conversation, which is very important. Yeah, definitely. John, I just have one last question kind of before we wrap up. You mentioned before how the platforms tend to benefit more than the actual creators. And you mentioned YouTube as an example. And YouTube is probably one of my favorite sources for content creation. Do you have any idea how Super Rare can kind of evolve to take over YouTube? Is that like anything like that on the horizon? Yeah, our our mission is to not like take over YouTube, but we are going to be adding video really soon. So that's a big request. Cool. Wow. I don't know if you guys know, but GIFs are super huge because they're just actually lots of pictures together. So video formatting makes the files way smaller. So we are going to add video pretty soon, which we're excited about. I think there's lots of cool, cool art. Are you going to be using what storage solution are you going to be using? So we use IPFS to host a lot of the files or all of them basically. So we'll probably, it'll probably still be IPFS for hosting, hosting the files. Uh, that's a tough task for mobile. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And it, I mean, in general, there are a couple, there's definitely some performance considerations uh, serving, serving content from IPFS. We, we do have a CDN kind of load balancing in front of it to help with some of that stuff, but. We are adding video, which will be, you know, kind of open things up a little bit more. I think we'll see some exciting, probably strange pieces of work that are video files. Yeah, it'll be exciting to kind of see what comes out of the. We should get like a Spin Chain X Super Rare collaboration. <laughs> there we go. Let's let's talk to Amin about it. Yeah, definitely. Tumblr was very much that for a while, and then they banned explicit content and then everyone left Tumblr. So there's definitely a need for it, I think. You know, this debate is age old, but like the where does the art line, you know, like art and adult content, it's kind of blurred. Is there anything that you kind of wanted to talk about, anything upcoming that you wanted to mention or promote before we wrap up? Yeah, I think uh I may have mentioned, but we're you know we're working on a mobile app, so we're gonna be asking for community feedback. Uh, based on sketches and stuff. So stay tuned. And where should people kind of connect with you to give that feedback? Twitter, Medium, where should they look out? Oh, yeah. So we have uh, Twitter is really good, super active on Twitter. I think it's just super rare underscore co. Our Telegram group is also pretty active. We're all in there. So Telegram's a good place. And if there's any designers out there who are really excited about what we're working on, we're actively looking for somebody to join the team and help out on the design front. So feel free to reach out, ping us wherever is convenient. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us, John. It's been a great conversation. Bethany and Peter, I really appreciate it. Love what you guys are doing with uh, Wizard of the Daps. So keep up the great work. If you enjoyed what you listened to and are interested in supporting this podcast, then please follow us on Twitter at Wizard of Daps. The show notes will be on our website, and if you want to continue the conversation, join our Telegram group. All links will be in the episode description. Thanks for listening.